Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Access Nutrients. If you routinely consume foods made from grains, beans, nuts, seeds, or soy, you may unknowingly be ingesting large amounts of phytate, an anti-nutrient that pulls zinc, iron, calcium, and magnesium out of your body. For anyone struggling with digestion, energy, sleep, or micronutrient deficiencies like iron deficiency anemia, consider giving Access Nutrients a try. This digestive enzyme will break down the phytate in your food and give your body access to the micronutrients otherwise locked up and unavailable to you. They've already had incredible success with elite athletes struggling with iron absorption and energy. Check out some of the incredible testimonials and research on their site to learn more at accessnutrients.org and use the code FTLR for 10% off your first order. Welcome back. I have Emma Cortez joining me on the podcast today. Emma, thanks so much for taking some time to chat. Of course. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. For sure. So you are joining a trio of pairs that I've had on the podcast. I've had the Roches on twice, or both both of the Roches. Um, I've had um, Jacob and Amy Pusey, and now Emma and Noah. So awesome! It's a rare rarefied air. So thanks yeah. for uh, <laughs> thanks for coming out to chat. Thank you. Good company too. So <laughs> that's pretty for cool. sure. Str- strong on the Boulder contingent. Yes. Um, well, <laughs> well, awesome. Before we go too far, uh, who is Emma? Oh wow. Um, a <laughs> wearer of deep, many hats. Deep stuff right off the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, a wearer of many hats for sure. So, um, a runner, uh, an educational consultant, um, which I just started doing at the beginning of the school year, uh, a dog mom, Noah Drati's fiance, a seltzer connoisseur, uh, <laughs> and, uh, an Ohioan, or I guess I should say an Ohioan expat. Got it. And a, and a mood board curator. Oh my gosh. I can't believe I forgot that. Yes. A mood board curator. <laughs> that's, that's like my pride and joy on Sunday. I, um, I'm taking an Instagram break right now for this week, but I planned it. So I would start it after last Sunday's mood board. And then I uh, would end it before I put up this coming Sunday's mood board. <laughs> <laughs> That's phenomenal planning. <laughs> so. <laughs> so given it's a running podcast, we'll start with the running side of things and then dive into all of the other hats that you wear, I'm sure, sort yeah. of woven into that. Um, so you're a speedy runner yourself, uh, and you've run in the Olympic trials and done some super cool stuff out in Boulder. Um, do you remember your first run? Yes, actually it, my first real run was a Thanksgiving day 5k, um, when I was a junior in high school, my dad was working with uh, a local support group um, that's similar to like Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's called Racing for Recovery. And they had put on a Thanksgiving Day 5K. And I was there volunteering, helping set up waters and 
you know, yada, yada, doing whatever my dad told me to do. And uh, about 30 minutes before the start of the race, he asked me if I wanted to just jump in because I was a soccer player. And, you know, he's like, Oh, if you want, you could just jump in, like, we'll give you a bib if you would like to. And so I did, um, not really knowing what I was doing. But I ran like 21 minutes for the 5k. So I was pretty happy with that. Um, I didn't really know what it meant. But (laughs) I was just like, cool, that was fun. And then um, I ran track that spring in high school. And then the following fall, I actually quit soccer to um, run cross country, because I enjoyed that 5k so much. And uh, the track coach was also the cross country coach was like, okay, if you can run 21 minutes by just jumping in to a 5k, you need to run cross country. (laughs) So, um, so that was really how it all began for me. And things escalated from there. Quickly. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Talk to me about that quick escalation. Sure. So I ran uh, cross country, like I said, my senior year of high school. Um, I won the city championships, uh, like the district championships, and ended up going on to the state meet. Uh, I believe I placed 30th. Um, and then, so I had like a pretty successful cross first cross country season um, and then was recruited by some local colleges. Uh, I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and then I went on, eventually uh, ended up accepting a scholarship from the University of Toledo. And so for me, only having one year of cross country under my belt from my senior year of high school, uh, it was a steep learning curve my freshman year of college to be thrown into um, a Division One program that at the time uh, was one of the better programs in the MAC. And so steep learning curve. Um, and I finally got the hang of things and the training by about like the middle of my sophomore year. And then I was consistently training and ended up um, doing really well in college. Um, but it's it's funny to think back. We had to write down our goals our freshman year for our pretty much our entire like collegiate uh, career. And one of my goals, by the time I left college, I wanted to run 18 flat in the 5K and run close to 510 in the mile. And those were my goals because I was like a 19 flat girl coming out of high school and I ran 520 in the mile. And so I'm just like, why was no one like, okay, I'm a dream bigger. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) No. and I, uh, I mean, I destroyed those goals, which, so it's just funny to like, look back and think like, oh, like, oh, baby, Emma, you just, <laughs> if you only knew. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now you could probably run that when, uh, when fatigued at elevation, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but I just think that's, it's just like, that's where my head was. I was just like, that'd be so cool if I could run like 18 flat in a 5k. (laughs) What would you say to Emma of then knowing what you know now? Um, oh, that's a good question. I think, hmm, that there's going to be a lot more opportunities than you realize right now. And also to 
enjoy where you're at because, you know, when I was trying to get into shape and, you know, I, well, so I'm from Ohio, a little background information, like I've said now, like five times. Um, (laughs) And so I graduated the same year as Emily Infeld. And so at the track meet, um, the Ohio State High School track meet championships, when we were seniors, I didn't actually make it uh, to state in the mile, but I did in the two mile. But I got to actually watch that mile race of Emily Infeld, and I believe she ran like 448 for the win. And I remember being like, oh my God, like she is so good. And so with that, seeing those kinds of races uh, my senior year, and then being on a Division One program my freshman year. Uh, I wanted to get good really fast. And, you know, I look back now and I'm like, oh, I wish I would have like enjoyed more where I was at that time instead of being like, oh, I really want to be better and I want to be faster. And I wish I would have been a little more present uh, while I was training to get better. But then again, I'm like, well, it worked out. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the presence, the presence piece is interesting. It's... um It's something I've tried to focus on a lot lately in this year and in 2020. Um, So David, my coach, has has reminded me to be present and enjoy the moment in a variety of of arenas outside of running. (laughs) He he was reminding me of this uh, in regards to dating as well. And it's funny that like the crossover that running has with so many different places in life that like this, you should be having fun. You should be enjoying yourself. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's true with running, but it's, it's true with anything. Uh, So I think it's a good reminder. Absolutely. Yeah. And so there are some, I'm glad that there are some aspects of my college career that I do hold those memories very dear. You know, the first time I broke five in the mile, spoiler alert, I broke five in the mile. I ran faster than 510. I was going to save that for for the 38th minute, but I guess we're onto it now. (laughs) Yeah. So I did end up running 447 for the mile um, by the time I was a senior in college. Uh, But I remember the first time I broke five in the mile, and that is a memory that I'll always have, you know, that was, cause that was something that I thought I would never be able to do. And the same thing with, you know, running 1630 in the 5k and running 3330 in the, on the track in the 10k, those were barriers that I didn't even 18 year old Emma wouldn't have even fathomed. And so those were really special moments. So fast forward a few more years and you're running in the Olympic trials. Yes. How how did how did that journey come about? When when did that become uh, a dream on the horizon, or or was it a dream? Yeah. So actually, um, my senior year of college, when I ran thirty three twenty eight in the ten k on the track, that was twenty twelve, and so I went to the early Stanford meet in March, and I ran that time. And at that time, so granted, it was a little naive. But at that time, I had hit the B standard for the trials 10K um, on the track. And so, you know, I was like, wow, like I might just sneak in, you know, with my time. Like that would be so cool if I could be at the Olympic trials in the 10K on the track. Um, 
But of course, then May happened in June and I went from, you know, being like in the higher 20s down to like, I think I ended up was like 55th on the list. And so I was like, okay, if just like 30 women don't run this in front of me, maybe I'll get in. I mean, I didn't, you know, like I was just so excited that I had run that fast and, um, that was a really big deal for me just to hit the B standard. Uh, and obviously I did not go to the track trials in 2012, but that really set the fire for the rest of my career and wanting to run at the Olympic trials. And I had my college coach, Sarah Fergotti, who's at the, at the Ohio state university. Oh my gosh. I'm even saying it. Um, at Ohio state. <laughs> I'm like, what? what's happening? The Ohio state. I have a buddy from high, uh, from high school who went to the Ohio state university as well. Okay. So I'm, I'm well versed with uh, the Ohio state university. <laughs> Wow, I'm like very indoctrinated. <laughs> anyway, so, it's just like rolled rolled off the tongue. And, I know, jeez. Oh, um, didn't stride there. But so she's uh, the distance coach there now and, at the um, Ohio State at University. the Ohio State University, and she's wow. phenomenal. She was wow. a big deal uh, at the University of Toledo. She went there for her undergraduate wow. and won the Mid-American Conference 10K, went to nationals in the steeple, was just a big deal. And um, so she was the assistant coach at Toledo when I was there. And I remember we did like a two-hour long run together um, on one Sunday. And it went really well because we would run a long runs really hard. And I was just like, that felt good. And she had said, she's like, I think you have a future in the marathon, if that's something you're interested in, just the way that you are able to do these longer thresholds and uh, these long runs, I think like you have the mental capacity and the physical capacity to do the longer stuff if you wanted to. And so that really kind of like planted the seed for me that I was like, I'm going to be a marathoner someday. Um, and so it was two years after I graduated that I went um, and ran CIM in 2014 and ran 242 in my first marathon and got my trials qualifier for 2016. What was it like running that fast in your first marathon? I mean, I've I've had a few people on the podcast who um, ran in the trials and their first marathon was like 430. Um, sure, yeah. And, and their story was an evolution of, um, okay, I'll, you know, run a marathon and then see how quick I can get. You jumped in there and that's, was that the A standard at the time or was that the B standard? The B standard, yeah, because that was, so I ran it when the time cutoff for the B standard was 2.43. And then, you know, like a year and a half later, they're like, oh, just kidding, 2.45. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was was, like, that Was that the goal? Was the goal to qualify? Yep. So that was the goal. I had trained uh, right at like that 242 pace. Um, So (laughs) I was pretty on the nose. Um, So I had trained for that. I thought that I was able to do it. Um, And it's like, I think, I think I can do this. And actually that was probably one of like the more, like the most flawless marathon I have still run. And I'm just like, man, I'm like, if I can just channel that energy (laughs) into all of their marathons, I do. (laughs) Why do you think it was so good? 
Um, I think I, so going into the first marathon, um, I had been at Hanson's and then I had left, but I still was in contact, um, with a few of the Hanson's athletes and just running with some of the women who were there when I was there. They had talked a lot about patience in the marathon and how important it is to stay relaxed and stay calm. And obviously Kevin and Keith Hansen are marathon gurus. Um, and so really just throughout my whole time there, there was always, you know, these reminders of when you get to the marathon, you know, the race doesn't start until 20 miles. And I'm like, Oh my God, I've never run 20 miles. (laughs) um, And so just having like that sort of background and knowing that I needed to be patient um, and also I was pretty nervous too, because I had, I, during that buildup, I had not run over 20 miles. So I had never run over 20 miles ever in my life. And so I was like, okay, just get to 20 miles. And I don't know what I thought was going to happen. I was like, hopefully like I don't explode like, at the 21st mile. Um, but so I was just very patient and, uh, just trying to, really, you know, hit my splits and stay, stay present, like we were just saying. Um, and, you know, since then, I think because I ran that in my first marathon, and I have subsequently like PR'd and a few other distances since then, um, I've been more in the mindset of I want to be really aggressive when I race, um, which is a good thing, too. I mean, that's not a bad thing. But I think <laughs> there was a little bit of a timidness um, in my first marathon that I could probably, probably use some of that still when I'm racing. <laughs> to like sit, sit and relax a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Whereas, you know, after the 2016, uh, trials, um, because it was, you know, yada, yada, super hot. I'm sure. Hot. There's a t- yeah, I ran, ten, I ran 10 miles on the course that morning, like two hours before you guys ran. I was like drenched and <laughs> I was yeah. like, God, thank God I'm only, I went at 8 a.m. and I was like, thank God I'm only running for 10 miles today. Yeah. I remember doing my shakeout before, you know, like a four hours before the race and being like, wow, it's a perfect temperature right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> right. But, um, but so after the 2016 trials, um, I was 39th, which was a good day for me. And I was happy with that. Like that met my goals, but I felt like I was in phenomenal shape. So of course, like going back to being aggressive right after I crossed the finish line, I was like, I'm going to Chicago in the fall and I'm running a PR. <laughs> and, um, so that's what I did. So that's where my PR is from is from Chicago. I ran uh two forty and change. Isn't it wild how the, um, the mindset can create different outcomes and create, um, if you can sharpen it or use it sort of as a tool, you can get whatever you want out of your body. And mm-hmm. in my first marathon, I have no clue what shape I was in, but I ran a three thirty five, and I don't think I was in that kind of shape, but it was such a small race that, um, by mile 15, I, th- I thought I was in the lead pack mm-hmm. and I just like kept running faster and faster. And I, n- I never hit a wall until like mile 25 or 26. Oh, wow. And at that point I was like, okay, cool. Like I'm, I'm done. But, but it was like, I was like, what if I, what if I win my first marathon? And I just like ran way out of my, um, out of my fitness and mm-hmm. it, 
it worked. Um, I was a little delusional because I finished 19th. (laughs) I was in like the second pack, but Mm -hmm. um, it's one of those things where like sometimes you, you can will yourself to do something more than what might be possible or, or just like get, get more physically out of yourself than what you think is possible mentally. Absolutely. And that, yeah, I, uh, so to fast forward even more, um, we can certainly go back to the 2020 trials and everything in between, um, Chicago and 2020 trials, but I just recently started working with a new coach and a new group who just had our first practice on Monday, um, with Matt Hensley of Boulder underground. And, um, he focuses a lot on that mental piece, Um, and so I had kind of been debating about, you know, getting back into like a structured training group. And I talked to him on the phone before, you know, just to get a feel of what his whole, his whole shtick was. (laughs) uh, So, uh, and he talked a lot about, you know, doing mindfulness exercises and meditation and talking about how a happy runner is a good runner and how that's just as important as the physical component. And I was sold. I was like, yes, this is what I want at this point in my career. This is ticking all my boxes. And, you know, I, I just firmly believe that that is such an important piece to running well. Um, and like mindset, especially in the marathon. Oh my gosh, because there's so many variables. And so like the one thing you can control for sure is your mindset going into that. Yeah, I think as we were saying, it's such a it's such an underutilized tool for many. Um, so I'm curious how how specifically do you use mindfulness mm-hmm. in training and racing um, sure. in order to get the results you're looking for? Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely think of like a mantra, um, especially during a marathon or a longer race, um, and I will create one for different parts in the race. So, you know, for like the first 10 K, you know, it's more about thinking like smooth and relaxed, like smooth and relaxed and thinking about that and just having fun. Like we're having fun. We are having fun. No. <laughs> and, um, this is fun. I promise yeah, I'm having fun. fun. Yeah. And, um, trying to keep it more casual and more relaxed. And then, you know, when I'm getting to like 15 miles, it's like, okay, we're doing great. We're going, doing great, but there's still a really long way to go. And, um, then, you know, getting to 20, it's like, okay, like we're going to start racing. And that's when we can really turn the gears over as long as I'm feeling good, but trying to create very specific mantras for each race. So those were just examples, but you know, for, um, like, my upcoming time trial. Uh, I don't know the distance yet, but, um, I'll have a certain mantra for that. And, you know, it's, I'm probably going to end up doing a two mile time trial. I, I bet. And so it'll be about being like, okay, like smooth and fast, smooth and fast. And, uh, then closing in on like the last couple laps, it's like, okay, like, you know, give it all you got, like give these laps hell. And trying to really create personalized mantras while I'm racing. Um, and then certainly to, you know, the component of before race day, just having a very like trying to create like a stress-free environment and 
you know, just doing things I like. So usually it's watching reruns of The Office or reading (laughs) and just really trying to keep it light. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing any work um, because I want to focus on the race and it's like work will be there after um, or any other projects I have going on and trying to just remember that it's like, I'm doing this because I want to. Like, this is because I want to do it. Like, no one's forcing me to do this. Um, and just reminding myself that there's a lot of joy in the race. And I can't remember who said it, but it might have been Shalane Flanagan. It probably was. But something along the lines of that, like, a race is a celebration of your training. And I really, really like that because I do like to race. And that just reminds me like, yeah, like this is fun. I love to run. <laughs> like we, like I like this <laughs> um, and that, you know, it's something that I'm there to celebrate all the hard work that I put in. Have you, has that always been your perspective though? Uh, no, <laughs> no. When I was how, did, in- <laughs> how did you, how did you get, how did you get there? Uh, I think after college, Um, because I really enjoyed running in college and racing in college, but obviously post-collegiate running for most, um, people who are in a position to run post-collegiately, you know, it's like, okay, well, the motivations are a little different now. And, you know, I'm not running to get points at the MAC championship or make it to nationals or, you know, to keep my scholarship and, you know, it post-collegiate running is I'm really doing this for myself and I'm trying to make a go out of it, of it. And so I had to really shift focus. And that was really tough for me, um, to, to wrap my head around, okay, this is different. I mean, it's similar in that, you know, you're still training really hard. You're still running pretty much every day, but the motivations are really different. And I, had to think about what was actually motivating me to run post-collegiately. And it was, is this because I'm good at this or is this because I'm enjoying this? And is this something that I want to make the main focus in my life or is this something I want to complement my life? And, you know, I wish I could say that I've really like mastered (laughs) those questions by now at age 30 Um, but I think, you know, it just ebbs and flows really. And, you know, I think I've arrived in a place now where I want running to complement my life and to be something that I curate around some of the other things going on in my life and not necessarily that I'm curating my life around running. And for me, that puts it into a perspective of, oh, this is something I get to do. It's not something I have to do. This is something that I get to go out. I get to work out on the track and run hard for an hour and a half. And then I go to work and I really enjoy that hour and a half. Um, And so for me, that perspective shift has been really helpful. Um, And wearing many hats, um, I think is also helpful for someone like me. Um, You know, whereas... I understand, especially my, my fiance, Noah, you know, his, his, uh, whole life is running. I mean, obviously his family, our friends, you know, 
he plays guitar, um, <laughs> and everything like that and the dogs. But, um, for him, it works, you know, to have, and he has, a you know, a, his, that's his career, you know, he's a 209 guy. So of course, like his career is running and, um, for him having that singular focus really works. But for someone like me, um, that perspective shift of, being able to like get to do this and fit it in with the rest of the things going on in my life. Um, that works for me. Yeah. I think it's all about like figuring out which side of the equation or which side of the aisle, I guess you could say for mm-hmm. a term that's hot these days, which side of the aisle you're on <laughs> in terms of all in, you know, focus and um you know diversification of of what you do in your day um i'm curious what the what your experience is so i've spent a fair amount of time in boulder um and it's you know it's no surprise that when you walk down the street you can see olympians and professional athletes and people who um as matt as matt daniels would joke you know i'm a sub four guy like so yeah. is the rest of the street. <laughs> yes. So like what what is what is that like for you as someone who's running fast but it's not your it's not your everything. Mm-hmm. Um It's been it's been interesting. Like I said that ebb and flow uh you know when I came out here about four, three and a half years ago now Um, I wanted to do the, my focus is running, but because it's not like financially responsible, responsible of me to just only run, I'm going to get, you know, a 30 hour a week job, which is like 80% of the runners here in Boulder, (laughs) (laughs) everyone comes out here and it's like, yeah, the the coffee shops are strong for that. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Everyone's like, I'm moving to Boulder. I'm joining this team. I'm going to work 20 to 30 hours a week at (laughs) this running store. And it's like, yeah, you and, and do, like and do consulting. <laughs> yes, yes. It's like great. Like you and like a thousand other people here. Um, but which I mean, is great. I love yeah, it. Exactly. I like. I would. Yeah. I would do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> For sure. Which is awesome. Like that's. It's great. Um, but so that was what I thought I wanted to do when I got out here. Um, and I did do that for a while. I joined uh, Boulder Track Club, uh, which was coached at that time by Lee Troop. And so I was with his group and um, racing and I ran a PR. He's a riot, huh? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Lee's, Lee's, he's, he's like one of my favorite people. He's, he's, it's always going to be a good time when he's around. And I mean, he's just Boulder legend. So you know, I came out here, was training under him, PR'd and a half, uh, PR'd in the 12k out at Bloomsday in Spokane, Washington, and um, was training pretty well, but just was having some like mental health stuff that I felt like I was like, what am I like, what am I doing? Like I'm a 75 minute woman, but is like, is this something that's like worth pursuing and just having a lot of like self-reflection and, um, I was having some like mental health challenges and just was like, I need to hit pause on this. Um, and so I ended up quitting uh, Boulder Track Club because I just was like, I need to take care of myself, like running can't come first now. And so 
in doing so, I took um, maybe like a couple months where I was just sort of jogging and going to therapy uh, at one point, like twice a week. And um, then I'm sure you've heard like another, <laughs> I'm sure you've heard about me, but I'm sure I've read, <laughs> just so you know. I listened to 10 <laughs> hours of podcasts about you this morning. <laughs> okay, great. Um, but I talked about this on Lindsay Himes podcast. I'll have another. Um, that fall, I ended up being hospitalized um, for a psychiatric episode. And so that really shifted things. And I realized that my mental health was important, like the most important thing and that running would come around. And so I did that. I just focused on my mental health. Um, I wasn't really working because of said mental health um, issues and just really trying to uh, get it together as you know, some people might say. Um, and then, you know, after that, I was still kind of left in this emotional hangover of all of that um, and was like, well, now what do I do? You know? And uh, so that's when I was like, well, okay, like I, maybe like I'm going to start substitute teaching and see if I like that. And I'm going to run when I want to and make sure that, you know, mentally I'm taking care of myself and physically. And so that's when like my career started to take off where I was like, okay, I'm going to go get my master's in early childhood education. Um, I'm going to focus on my career. And so that shifted. And so I've been doing that for the last few years um, and running, you know, on my own accord and basically making my own schedules. But after the 2020 trials, which was disastrous for me, I'll be the first one to say it. <laughs> um, I did not have a very good race. I think I was just I was working a lot. I was finishing up a master's degree. I was starting to write a blog about my dad and I was just feeling very burnt out. Um, so I took a very extended break during the pandemic where, you know, I feel like you either saw, like, like you said, either one side of the aisle or the other, um, to take it back to politics, but <laughs> where people were getting in like phenomenal shape or people were like, Oh, I'm not running cause there's no races. And I was in the that category of I'm like, Oh, well, there's nothing going on. I just had a disaster of a race. I think I just need to calm the F down for a little bit. And, you know, as awful as the pandemic was, or is, I should say, geez, um, is it really forced me to, and the rest of the world to really stop and slow down and I really needed that. I didn't realize how much I actually needed that. So I didn't run for about six months from wow. like March till, you know, November of this year. Well, what was that like? I really liked it. <laughs> I really enjoyed <laughs> it. Like, I hadn't it taken... a NARP. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, this is great. Um, and... It's yeah. hard to remember when the shower, though. That's the only downside. Oh, totally. I know. And so, and I have curly hair. So I'm like, do I really need to shower? Like, you can't really <laughs> tell. Um, and so, 
but I thought it was, it was great. I, I really didn't need, realize how badly I needed it until I did it. And I felt like my body was just like, Oh, thank you so much. Like we can relax and we can heal from all the little nickels and we don't have to, I don't have to like just fit everything in and go run 10 miles. And I just really needed that. Um, and it just allowed me like a huge mental break and physical break. I started riding my bike a little bit more. Um, I was walking the dogs, you know, (laughs) I was like, this is great. And, um, 30 minutes of fitness, three to five times a week. <laughs> exactly. I was like, fantastic. I was like, this is the life for me. And so I, I wasn't sure if I was going to actually like run at, um, you know, like compete or anything anymore. I was like, well, maybe like, maybe I'm just tired and I'll just start running when I feel like it. Um, but it allowed me the time to heal my body. Um, and just like, mentally take a break from running. Um, and then also it gave me the time to like do other things, uh, that I wouldn't normally do. Like I went hiking, um, with my cousin a lot who, uh, lives out here as well. And I mean, that's something that like I would not do if I was training hard, I would not go on like a five hour hike. Um, so to be able to do that, it really opened my perspective and just like, Oh yeah, there are so many other things I would like to do. And I think, you know, I started running again. It's like, of course, caught the bug again. And, um, (laughs) you know, it's hard when you live with a 209 guy to like not run. Um, so who is this guy? I've never heard of him. Yeah. Uh, Noah Drotty. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him, but I hear he's great. He's great for, um, for gaining growing followers on your social media. He really is. Oh my gosh. If I'm like, I'm riding these coattails, baby. I was like, you can't get rid of me. Like we're engaged. This is, I was like to the moon, let's go. (laughs) I find that, I find the dynamic that you guys have to be hilarious. I don't know if it's, if it's just like a show on social media, but it's very funny. No, it's more like Noah's sitting on the couch and I can tell that he's like tweeting or doing something on social media. And so I'm like at the kitchen counter, like doing work. And I'm like, I, I'm like, I need to go take a break and see what he's up to. <laughs> you can't be like browsing his, his social, like ripping like 10 feet behind you, right? Right. And so I'm just like, I'm like, what you doing? <laughs> Like, uh, or and you, like, you know what's go, like think what's going through his head because it's on the internet. Yes, and so and sometimes it'll be like he's really upset about people running in the bike lanes. Like I don't even know. He's very. I mean, like, I mean, very relatable content. Yes, it is. It's very relatable content. But he'll tweet let's, something. Let's talk about that for the for a second. Yeah, yeah. I don't get it. It's a bike lane. It's for bikes. Okay, well, Noah Drotty may have something to say to you. So. Well, I mean, I mean, it's it's not for cars. Running right. in the bike lane is totally acceptable. Okay, I was running okay. in the bike lane. Okay, yes. yeah, I was running in the bike lane yesterday, and um, because it's I live in a populated area, and I'd rather run in the street than totally. um, you know, not do that. And there are just cars that park everywhere in the bike lane. 
next to oh, signs that say this is a bike lane. Yeah. And so I'll yeah. have to I'll have to pick Noah's brain on that one. Yeah. It's so like sometimes he'll be tweeting something that whether it's political or running politics or running and I'll like <laughs> stop my work and go on Twitter or Instagram and I'm like, oh, someone's feisty this morning. And he's and he's like, well, you know, like, he's like, I'm sick of this. And but, like, it's just, it's funny to be behind the scenes because I can tell when he's like brooding. And I'm like, I know you're going to tweet about this. Like, I know, you know you're going to say something. You know that something's, something's coming. Yes. It's like, I know you're going to say something. Um, but so, yeah, that's, it's very fun. It's just, Oh, Noah, he's, you know, that's, yeah, he's just as really funny. <laughs> if you know me, you know that I always do my own research and also try everything out before sharing it with you. I've been using Access Nutrients for a while now, and while I can't pin all of my strong workouts and long runs to a single thing, I have been feeling very strong lately and definitely getting what I need out of my food, at least according to my blood work. Check out accessnutrients.org to learn more about their product and research and use the code FTLR for 10% off your first order. And now back to our conversation. So let's talk about, let's talk about run specialty and barefoot and CrossFit. Oh my gosh. Well, because, so we, um, I, well, since I've joined Boulder Underground and now I'm back to training and, um, you know, doing some more workouts, I wanted to get some flats. And granted, I have the um, Saucony Endorphin Pros, little plug there, um, which are great. But I also am like, I don't really need to be doing like six by three minutes on, two minutes off in those. Um, so I needed like a more pair, uh, like a pair of flats, um, something like more of a tempo shoe. And so I was like, well, let's go to one of like the local running stores and, you know, say hi and also see if they have like, uh, an Adidas Boston or something like that in stock in my size. And so when we went there, both of us were like, <laughs> we're like, Oh, Oh my God. I like, we just saw shoe boxes all over the floor and both, and Noah's like, Oh, this makes me feel like ill. <laughs> he's, just, he's like, I'll never forget. Just like, putting away shoes and like repackaging them. <laughs> and I was like, Oh yeah. And uh, we were sort of joking with uh, one of the women who works at Boulder running company when we were there. And uh, we're like, Oh, we used to work in run specialty. She's like, Oh yeah. And I was like, how many people come in here? One in that Brooks beast. <laughs> she's, like, you know, she's like, yep, that are the Brooks adrenaline. I was like, absolutely. <laughs> and so we were just kind of joking about that. But then Noah and I started talking about like, what's the worst time period you've worked in run specialty. <laughs> and so I worked at my first run specialty job was at the Hanson store and during the five finger craze. And I may be, I may be wrong. This may not have been a Kevin Hansen or a Keith Hansen move. It may have been one of the managers, but when the five thing, five fingers came out, they, like, they ordered like four sizes that like so four boxes of them and then put them in the corner of the store all the way in the back <laughs> so like you could not see them 
And then when the lawsuit happened, they kept those shoes there in that back corner, but had printed out the paper, talk, talk, a paper talking about the lawsuit and taped it above those four boxes. And they probably sold, right? I can't remember, but I just was like, I was like, this is amazing. So you want to hear, you want to hear a funny story? Yes. So um, I was not much of a runner back in 2013, but I owned the five fingers and um, I was, I was doing CrossFit like a little bit. And um, so I was a, I was a walking cliche and, (laughs) and um, the, the Boston marathon bombings happened and I was like, I'm going to be a runner because I live in Boston and that's what everybody said. And my long run at the time was like five miles. And I, the day after the the bombing, I went out and I ran from the top of, I parked my car at the top of Heartbreak Hill. I didn't know that's, that was Heartbreak Hill. And I, I ran into Boston and I get into Boston and I get turned around by, you know, a SWAT team who says, you can't be here right now. I said, okay, please point that machine gun elsewhere. And I, I, I turned around and, and ran, ran back to my car 13.1 miles later, I get, (laughs) I wake up the next day. I'm like, oh shit, I can't walk. (laughs) Yeah, and I got I got a stress fracture from running uh, an untrained half marathon in the five fingers. Well, I will say, justice served for you wearing the five fingers. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess I guess we've ruled out. a potential podcast sponsor, so they'll they'll never yeah. sponsor this. this Sorry, podcast. guys. <laughs> yeah, it's just you know, yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> so, jumping over to a different topic, you were talking about um, curation of uh, your life around different aspects, and I can't uh, help but comment on the curation of your Sunday Instagram uh, content. So Thank let's you. talk let's talk Sunday mood board which I look wow. forward to every Sunday to see uh, you so what you've got on your mind. Oh, so first you so first what is what is your Sunday mood board? Wow, okay, thank you so much for asking. So every Sunday I put together a mood board of a story on my Instagram and I post Uh, photos or posts that I've seen throughout the week that I'm like, this is really speaking to me right now. And I started off with, well, lately the theme has been like cute animal to begin with. Um, But I play around with that. But then you got to hook people in. Yeah. Yeah. But it always ends with the Olsen twins. And so that's how you know it's over. Although I will say I ended it with Anthony Bourdain maybe a month and a half ago. And I probably got like 20 DMs of people being like, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) I'm like, oh, I was like, I was just experimenting. And one of my friends was like, look, there is so much confusion in the world. This is the one thing I count on for consistency. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, your friend counts on the Olsen twins for consistency? (laughs) Yes, to end my mood board. And they were like, how could you do something like this in 2020 without warning us? Incredible. 
And so, yeah, so anything that I stumble across on my Explore feed or uh, in my main feed, I'll save it. And then I have basically like a whole, like a huge, just a deluge of photos and images um, in my saved folder on Instagram. And then I go through that on Sunday morning and I put together, um, I put them together in an order that is aesthetically pleasing to me or is kind of like tongue in cheek a little bit. Um, you know, like the two images are very different, but kind of go together, have a similar theme. So yeah, I mean, this, (laughs) this is, I've curated this now for about two years. So kind of, kind of got a system down. (laughs) Nice. Um, one of the things that I appreciate about your use of social media is that you don't, you know, stay in one lane and you've, you've acknowledged that we (laughs) all have many lanes. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And, um, and that you are multidimensional and you speak your mind uh, when appropriate, which is always. Um, So has that always been how you've used social or has that been a bit of an evolution um, as the years have gone on? Um, I think I've kind of always used social media as that, uh, in that way, especially because, uh, I, well, okay. So I also grew up in the like early two thousands, like to mid two thousands when Facebook just started. And so where you could just like put up a status of like, party with my friends and then you'd upload the album of said party from your digital camera a couple hours later um and so i kind of grew up you know i, I think had a we're the same age because yes because that was like the the in my entire like mid-teens yes yes you know i joined i joined my high school network when i was on facebook um so, which is just like you got so the, silly. the in the invite from zuck yeah, exactly. Like Zuck and I are super tight. Um, and so uh, I grew up in that age where I felt like social media was, you know, a thing where you put your thoughts and feelings out there. Like we we grew up in the era of like the Zanga journals online in MySpace. Yeah, where, yeah. You know, or like you curated and like, you know, took your time to create your AIM profile in a way message. Yes. And so I, I've always felt At like percent this is and mine. talk to you later. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And so it's always been for me something that it's like this is mine. And um, you know, I think now, especially like in the last uh, you know, like year with all of the social justice movements going on, you know, BLM and talking about police reform and um, you know, politics right now, it I think it's even more important to use your platform, um, especially if you have some sort of following I mean, granted i only have like 1600 followers but um you know i think i don't it's know important. how to run another race well I, I know and so and so but um i think it's important because you know not just because you know i have x amount of followers or anything like that but also because it's like this is how i actually feel and right this is important to me and so i'm going to share it with people and you know most, I would say most people, you know, do like the hand clap emoji when I put it on my story on Instagram or, you know, like my tweet. Um, and that's great, you know, just to like know that other people out there feel the same way. Um, 
But, you know, there's also people who will send me DMs, you know, tell, like literally telling me to stay in my own lane. And um, it's just like, you don't have to follow me. Like, this is mine. Right. You know, I'm always going to post like my own feelings and thoughts on here um, because this is my social media handle. And if you don't like like it, I mean, please unfollow me. Like, I, I don't follow certain people because I don't like what they post. And, you know, I don't think that's like wrong or bad it's just like that okay great like I don't want to see that in my feed and you know that's not something I want to expose myself to um so yeah I just think you know it's important to use social media um not just for Sunday mood board but uh for (laughs) to express yourself because you know people might say oh well it's like an echo chamber um in terms of if I post you know, because granted, most of my followers are more like left leaning or, you know, support BLM and social justice movements. Um, And, you know, I think about, well, is this like an echo chamber? But then like, I see stuff on other people's stories. And I'm like, oh, like, that's super interesting. Or they post a podcast that they're listening to about, you know, something in history that or something that's going on right now. And I'm like, well, you know what, I get a lot of things from when other people post that what they're listening to or what they're doing or what they're reading. And so I like to think that by like sharing what I'm doing too, like maybe someone else will be like, Oh, like, that's great. Thanks so much for sharing. Um, And so I think social media can be used for more than just, you know, flex in post-workout running pictures and stuff. So <laughs> Definitely. Dogs too. Um, Dogs too. No, I, I totally agree. I, I, a lot of the feedback that I've gotten has been, um, first I'm, I, I have been surprised with the people that I follow and my followers when I challenge them and I, when I ask questions and, and when I, do things that are, um, you could say, outside of the lane. And by that, I mean not running related. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's outside of our lane. I think it's all of our lanes. Um, but what I mean by that is there are a lot of people with differing views. And I think a cornerstone of any good community is the ability to disagree and to disagree on things that, you know, more than just you know, shoes and stuff like that and have these conversations about things that actually matter. Um, so it's, it's good to see, it's great to see. And, and I definitely encourage you to you know keep doing it because I think it's the kind of thing that it has a ripple effect that the more, the more that people see it, the more that they realize that um, it's, it is everybody's lane and you might have Absolutely. 10 followers or 50 followers or 50,000 mm-hmm. followers, but anybody can make an impact and that's the only way that we can actually get somewhere. Absolutely. And on like, honestly, so I have um, four older sisters, so I have a bunch of nieces and nephews and they follow me on Instagram. So I'm also like, well, I want them to know. Like a role model. Like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, these things are important to me and like, I care about you. And so that's why like, these are important to me. And I hope that, you know, one of my nieces always sends me she's 14 so like very very big deal when she responds to my instagram stories um she's like constantly like giving me like the hand clap emoji and i'm just like oh to be validated by gen z (laughs) 14 year old yeah Yeah, i'm i'm the same way with my cousins they're not quite as young but um 
yeah, it's like it's a it's a fun way to connect with family and friends and things that people that you know you don't get to see on a regular basis and absolutely um, show that you know we're, we're more than just runners. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, I think my last question, uh, I could go on forever here, but it mm-hmm. looks like you're running out of space. So I think we're going to have okay. to, to keep it, keep it tight here. Okay. Um, what, uh, what is one thing you wish people knew about you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, oh man, I've been coming with the heavy hitters. Uh, I think that probably just what we've been talking about is that I'm more than just a runner. Um, I feel like, especially in terms of people with running and, you know, if you're running at like an elite level or like kind of where I am right now, like sub elite, you know, breaking into that elite level, um, you know, people see like your time on a piece of paper and they're like, Oh my God, like she totally bombed. Like, like, geez. And it's like, well, yeah, I did. But like, also <laughs> like I was doing other things. Um, and you know, it's like, that's not an excuse, but just to know that it's like, I'm more than just my numbers on the paper and, um, that, you know, I'm, I am passionate about a lot of things and I care about, things outside of running. And, um, I think that that makes me a more well-rounded person and that, you know, and really I think like that can be taken for any runner, especially higher profile runners where I think they can get a lot of flack for bombing a race. And it's like, well, really like average show running fan, like has no idea like what was going on behind the scenes. Um, and so I think just you know, I would like people to be a little more empathetic towards each other. And I think that that's like a really big theme going into 2021 from 2020 is that um, people are like, okay, let's be more kind to each other and more empathetic and more compassionate. And so I think just like for me personally too, is that, you know, something people don't know about me is like, I have a lot going on behind the scenes of running. Like I'm not just you know, a 240 marathoner. Um, you know, I'm an author, I'm an educator, I'm a dog mom, mood board creator, like we said in the intro. Um, and that, you know, I'm a multifaceted person. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes I get, <laughs> especially here in Boulder, it's great because the writing community is really big, but I think a lot of times, uh, when we were socializing in larger groups, uh, a lot of times it gets stuck into this like, oh, like how was your last race? And then like the conversation kind of just gets stuck in running and just talking about like your last workout. And sometimes I'm just like, oh my, this is just so boring. Like, I, <laughs> like yeah, I want to hear about your workout and your race, but also like, have you gone in, have you like done anything cool lately? Have you like made anything? What have you read lately? Um, and so I'm trying to bring more of like that multifacetedness um, into my conversations with people and, you know, just trying to like, just be more aware of that, um, in others as I want them to be aware of that in me. I love that. Um, it's, it's definitely a goal I have with this podcast where like, I've very explicitly said to Olympians and professional athletes, like you've done some amazing things in your past we're probably not going to talk about 
any of those numbers Mm -hmm. and let's look going forward and let's look at what makes you unique because I think there are so many podcasts and stories and articles about, you know, the workouts that people did and the races. And I don't find it as relatable as the story you just told about yourself and what makes you unique and what, you know, all of that stuff. I think this is the stuff that humanizes people. And it's, you know, the, the splits and the races and the times, like that's a piece of it, but it, Mm -hmm. it's not as relatable, but the, the humanness um, and the the empathetic side and all of that stuff. I, that's why people care about other people. It's not like it's not because you can run a two forty marathon. It's not because you can run a you know two hundred nine marathon or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a one fifty nine marathon, maybe. But yeah, like I get even, that. Even, <laughs> yeah, but 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 even still, like I, I'm mostly joking about that. But mm-hmm. um, I think that. It's it is the behind the scenes that make people interesting and um, a conversation that continues to come up on social is athletes and social media and performance over social media and um, is is that like what is the most important and I replied to a tweet the other day about it. I was like both both are a hundred percent necessary to be a professional athlete today Absolutely. because. Plenty of people can run fast, but plenty of people are not interesting or they're not sharing their story and bringing other people along for the for the ride. So I think that's the, I mean, time and a place for everything, but I think that's the, the thing that makes it interesting and aspirational. And um, I think that's all I've got to say on that topic. <laughs> well, I um, 100% agree. Very cool. Well, Emma, thanks so much for for taking some time to chat. I look forward to your Sunday mood board and uh, maybe I'll see you in, uh, in Colorado sometime soon. That'd be awesome. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Of course. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.